0: Welcome to Scientific American Science Talk, posted on October 5th, 2016. I'm Steve Mursky.
1: This year's Nobel Prize in Chemistry is about the world's smallest machines.
0: Joran Hansen, Secretary General of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences, earlier today before a group of reporters.
1: The Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences has decided to award the 2016 Nobel Prize in Chemistry jointly to Jean-Pierre Sauvage, Sir James Fraser Stoddart and Bernard L. Feringa for the design and synthesis of molecular machines. Jean-Pierre Sauvage was born in Paris in 1944. He is now Emeritus Professor at the Université de Strasbourg and Director of Research Emeritus at the Centre National de la Recherche Scientifique, CNRS in Strasbourg in France. Sir James Fraser Stoddart was born in 1942 in Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. He is currently the Board of Trustees Professor of Chemistry at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, United States. And Bernard or Ben Ferincha was born in 1951, in Barger Kompaskum in the Netherlands. He is professor of organic chemistry at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. So that's our new Nobel laureates. And now I'd like to give the word to Professor Snogorup-Linse who will provide some introductory remarks.
0: Maybe this morning you ground your coffee. Maybe you used a motorized vehicle to get here. You used man-made machines operating on the centimeter to meter length scale. It's been the dream of scientists for over half a century to take this development all the way down to the molecular scale, that's nanometers. A nanometer is one million times smaller than a millimeter. In here, we have some molecular machines. A molecular motor, a molecular muscle, a molecular memory, an elevator, and there's a molecular car. This amazing development is due to several ingenious chemical innovations. A machine needs movable parts and a mechanism to convert energy input to motion in a defined direction. So the first challenge for the chemists was to Make something that can move. She then showed a bagel and two bagel-like baked goods that were interconnected but without touching each other, like a set of magician's rings while they're entwined before the performer magically decouples them. This one won't do the work. It's beautiful. But it needs to be connected to something. One way to make a physical connection is this. Somewhat more ugly, but here we have two wings that move relative to one another but they are freely joined. There is no chemical bond between them. This one requires some very clever chemistry. And this year's laureates have developed new synthetic strategies to make molecules like this. The second challenge is to convert energy input to motion in a defined direction. Here the problem is that molecular systems have a strive to reach equilibrium and fluctuate around it in random motions. So here the challenge was to overcome this, and the laureates took advantage of a molecular property called chirality or asymmetry. So now you may be curious to see what these machines look like. I'm sorry, you can't see them. They are more than a thousand times smaller than a human hair. So we need a magnifying lens, and I think my colleague, Olof Ramström, can help here.
2: So definitely we need a magnifying lens. So as you heard, this award is all about the world's smallest machines, the world's tiniest machines. And they are really very tiny, these structures, only a few nanometers in long length. And as you heard, as a comparison, a strand of hair is more than 1,000 times thicker. So how can you make these machines? Well, as Sara very cleverly uh, explained to you, one very, very important breakthrough in this area came in 1983 when Jean-Pierre Sauvage and his group made a so-called molecular chain. And the way they did this is that they constructed molecular ring and they had a molecular crescent-shaped, a crescent-shaped molecule. And when you mix those two, structures together with a small copper ion. The copper ion can act as a type of glue, gluing those two pieces together in a type of complex. And what you then can do is you can add a third component and then you can stitch them together chemically. And what you then will get after you remove them, the copper ion is a type of molecular chain type of structure also known as a catenane. And here you have a type of mechanical bond where the two rings can move freely relative to each other but cannot come loose from one another. So it's a type of mechanical bond. This opened an entire field of molecular machinery and it also reinvigorated another field which is called topological chemistry where you actually study very complex situations like this. What Jean-Pierre Sauvage and his group also uh, realized at this point was that here you have what is called translational isomerism, because in the presence or in the absence of metal ion here, you have a large shift in shape uh, in the structure, up to one nanometer change in shape. Another very, very important breakthrough in this area came in 1991, when uh, Fraser Stoddart and his group designed a so-called molecular shuttle. They used another type of mechanical bond, uh, which is based on an electron-rich axle. And they also made a ring-shaped molecule, which is electron poor and it's open here on one side. If you mix those two structures together in a solution, electron-rich will be attracted by electron-pore. And then you can ring-close the structure, and now you have formed a type of rotexane structure, where you have the ring can move freely along the axle, but cannot come loose because of the two large stoppers at each end here. And this is another type of mechanical bond. And here you have a shuttle effect so that this ring can move between two different stations in this axle. After these fundamental discoveries, what these two groups could also show is that you can actually control this movement. So in 1994, uh, the Stoddard group could show, by building in asymmetries in the axle, that you can actually control the movement of the ring between the two stations. And this you can do, for example, by electrochemical means. In the same year, the Sauvage group can show similarly that you can build in asymmetries in the catenane rings and by electrochemistry you can also control the movement, the rotation of one ring relative to another. After these fundamental breakthroughs, both of these groups have done a lot of work and they have constructed more and more complex structures and more and more functional structures. Just to give you a couple of examples out of very many, uh, Sauvage group have, for example, designed a molecule, uh, constructed a molecule which which can extend and contract, extend and contract dramatically in a very controlled manner. And this is exactly, this is actually mimicking the function that we see in our muscle tissue. So you can call it the type of molecular muscle. And the storage group, they have done many things. One example they made uh, was a so-called molecular elevator or lift where you have a plane that can move between two stations upon external stimulus, external stimulus. So one component in a machine that is very, very important is the motor component and especially maybe the rotary motor component, and in particular a component that we can rotate only in one direction. And that is a fundamental challenge, and that challenge was met in 1999 by Ben Feringa and his group. So what they could do in this particular case was that they made a molecule, they built in asymmetries in the molecule, and they had two rotor blades connected to what is called an isomerizable bond, a bond that can change. And using this structure, they can get unidirectional directional rotation. And the way this works is that when you shine light to this uh, molecule, the rotor blade will flip over almost 180 degrees, and that will create tension in the molecule. That doesn't, the molecule doesn't light the tension, it wants to release the tension, and that happens in a the thermal step which is irreversible, pretty much irreversible. And then you have another pulse of of light coming in. You get another flip of the rotor. You create more tension. And then in the final step, you have a thermal relaxation again, and then you're back at where you started. And this cyclic moment you can do over and over again in a very unidirectional rotation manner. After this fundamental breakthrough in 1999, the Feringha group and other groups have been working continuously on this field and they have perfected their structures even more. So nowadays they have structures that can rotate very fast, up to 12,000 revs per second. They have motors that can rotate in either direction. They, have also, they can also change the direction at will if they want to. They, have also, they also show that you can use these molecular motors, these tiny molecular motors, to rotate much, much larger objects. And the final example I have for this, from this group, is a more playful example, is they wanted to demonstrate that, can, that you can control the motion of a small machine on a surface. And what they actually did then was that it, they, they constructed a molecule where you have a, an axle type of structure, and in each corner of this axle they connect a motor component. So what this then will look like is some kind of four-wheel drive, small molecular car. So what these three laureates have shown, have done, they have opened this entire field of molecular machinery. And they have constructed, they have shown that it is indeed possible to make machine or machine-like function at molecular scale. And they have really mastered motion control at the molecular scale. So now... I think you all can say that this is really fantastic, right? But what is it used for? What can it be used for? And I would like to say that this is, until now, fundamental science. This is basic fundamental science. They have addressed scientific fundamental, fundamental scientific challenges and shown that this is indeed possible. And you can say, probably you can say that the, the development stage here is similar to what it was in the beginning of the 19th century when many scientists demonstrated different electrical machines. And of course, these electrical machines from the beginning of the 19th century, they created a revolution. And nowadays we have electrical machines everywhere. So we think that uh, these small molecular machines, we have seen some tendencies towards uh, applications, but the future will say, will show what kind of applications will come
1: out of this. Thank you very much, Olof. We may now have one of our new Nobel laureates with us on the phone line. Professor Feringa, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm there. I'm sitting in the session hall of the Academy and we have journalists from all over the world here. Uh, And they are of course eager to ask you questions. So are you ready to take some questions? Sure. Great. This is Swedish television. Uh, Congratulations, Professor. Uh, I'd like you to tell us two things, actually. First, what did you say when you heard the message today? And then, what did you say when you saw your first functioning molecular machine?
3: What I said when I got this message, that I said, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know what to say. And I'm a bit shocked, you know, because it was such a, a great surprise. And then my second remark was, I'm so honored. And uh, I'm also emotional about it. Um, Second, uh, what I said when we saw this machine working for the first time, uh, this was uh, also a shock, because for the first time we saw really movement of things, you know, and we saw that there was a kind of a motor part function. So I was, uh, I could hardly believe that it worked, yes.
0: Uh, I'm Annelie Megner-Arn from uh, TV4. Congratulations on the prize. Thank you. And I wonder if you can imagine what your cars and elevators can be made for. Could it, for instance, be transporting medicals to active sites?
3: Yeah, you you are absolutely right. It is a bit early days, of course. But once you are able to control movement, you have a motor, you can think of all kinds of functions. So, indeed, we think of transporters, uh, like in your body, there are many motors and machines that make it possible that your cells divide, that your muscles work, that there is transport in the cells, etc. But you can think also, which broader? Think about machines, micro robots. Think about tiny uh, robots that you, uh, the doctor in the future will inject in your blood veins and that go to search for a cancer cell or are going to deliver a, t- uh, a, a drug, for instance but also smart materials, for instance, materials that can co- co- adapt, uh, change uh, depending on an external signal, just like our body functions. That is the kind of functions you can think of. Uh,
0: congratulations to the prize. Uh-huh. My name is Joanna Rose from uh, Novel Media just now. Um, Thank you. I, I wonder uh, what is the challenge to do now for you and your colleagues?
3: Yeah, now, first of all, let me say, I feel a little bit like the Wright brothers, eh? who were f- flying 100 years ago for the first time. And then people were saying, you know, why do we need a flying machine? And now we have a Boeing 747 and an Airbus. So that is a bit how I feel. But yes, the opportunities are great, because if you think what kind of materials we can make these days with the chem- chemistry, And when you are able to introduce dynamic functions and build machines or build materials that can change function, there is endless opportunity. So we will build smart materials in the future. That is a a big opportunity. Materials that will uh, reconfigurate, that will change, that will adapt themselves, that will have uh, properties that can change because of the pick of the signal. You can think of nanoscale energy converters So uh, make tiny machines that can store energy and can use that energy, Uh, and indeed, it opens up a whole new field of uh, nanomachines.
2: Professor, um, congratulations on your prize, David Keaton from the Associated Press. Thank you so much. Um, Now, obviously, the 19th century, um, the discoveries of the 19th century yielded the aeroplane, uh, the drill, lots of wonderful uh, innovations, but also some very deadly ones. Uh, this could also uh, lead, potentially, uh, would you imagine to... Well, I'll put it another way. What are your worst nightmares with this discovery? What do you fear from your discovery?
3: Now, uh, I don't know if I have really nightmares. The nice thing is about that we can design all these uh, synthetic uh, motors and machines and so, that we can induce all kinds of autonomous functions. So, so far, when we build a material, a chemical, whatever... You know, they, they are there, but they don't have any dynamic functions or autonomous function. In the future, we have all kinds of materials that will have autonomous functions, just like a bacterial cell or so in the future, uh, just like a cell in, a, in, in your body or a bacterial cell or so. And I think uh, we have to think about uh, uh, how we can handle these things uh, safely, but uh, I'm not so worried about that because once we are able to design these tiny of micro machines and, and these nano robots, we will also have the opportunity to build in all kinds of safety devices if that is needed and so. For the time being, I think we uh, we use these uh, materials and so, and we treat them as, as any chemical. You know, with uh, with uh, with uh, any te- if we would, for instance, use these tiny uh, motors and so in a biological context, they have to go through a very uh, uh, a careful uh, evaluation with respect to toxicity and all these things. So uh, we are aware of these things.
0: My name is Åse yeah. Husper, and I work in the Nobel Museum. When did you first start to think about that I would like to make research about molecular machines? How did you come up with the idea?
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting point. We started, when I was in my early days of my career, I started uh, building switches just like Fraser Stoddard and Jean-Pierre Sauvage. So we could, you know, a switch, you switch between zero and one, just like a, a, in your uh, a light switch. And the whole idea was to do, have an alternative for information storage. And we wanted to use light and to switch between two states in the molecule. And then suddenly we discovered that besides switching, we could also make a movement that continued in one direction. And that was the start of our rotary motors. And once you have built a rotary motor, then you know you can control motion at that nano scale, because our motors are only one nanometer, one billionth of a meter in size. And so once you can control motion, you can think about all kinds of dynamic functions, like movement, like uh, uh, transporters, like uh, tiny machinery. So it started all with switches. The simple idea, zero, one switch.